Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Today, Blues make an appointment with Dr. Tottenham. Mason Mount, should he stay or should he go now? We round up the rest of the Chelsea news and do a quiz. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is straight out of Cobham. Hello, listener. Hope you're okay. A nice week with no midweek action. Hopefully that has meant that your confidence levels in Chelsea's ability to do something good on Sunday have been suitably replenished. Uh, It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined today by Jesse Parker-Humphreys. How are you doing, Jesse? Yeah, good, thanks, Matt. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. We've got Liam Toomey alongside us as well. Uh, Liam, this is uh, me flipping the script, if you don't mind. I wanted to start with you giving us a little tease to your piece, which has gone live on The Athletic today, all about the mood inside Chelsea. You've teamed up with Simon for this one. What did you find out? Yeah, so we were we were tasked with trying to find out how people are feeling, uh, which is always quite tricky at times like this, around Cobham, around the players, around the other people that work there. And the general impression we were given was that considering the fact their current form is bleaker than 2015-16 when Jose Mourinho was patrolling the the corridors and snapping at anyone who dared to come out of their offices, it's fair to say Graham Potter isn't reacting that way. You can probably imagine. He is pretty much what he appears to be in front of the cameras in terms of his emotional stability and level-headedness. And the players don't personally dislike him. There isn't the sense of palpable discord that we had back in 2015-16. But that's not to say all is well, obviously. And the other overarching sense we got was just of everyone feeling unsettled by the sweeping scale of the change that the club has gone through across all departments. But of course, you can see it most clearly in the squad, whether it Bowley and Clearlake have signed 13 new players in their first two transfer windows just for the first team right now, either permanently or on loan. And I think among the players that were there before, there's a sense of confusion as to why this has been such a kind of scorched earth rebuild to a team that 18 months ago 
was European champions and and widely considered to be a Romelu Lukaku away from being Premier League contenders again. And so I think that there's a feeling that Bowley and Clear Lake have committed to almost the path of most resistance uh, with, with everything that they're doing by by sacking Tuchel, bringing in a, a coach who's learning at this level and and bringing in a load of young players who have kind of, while they're not bad guys, uh, just the fact that so many new guys are there has has destabilised the dressing room. And I think that's feeding into what we're seeing on the pitch. Jesse, obviously all the, the focus of late has been on the results because they've been so absolutely unremittingly awful. But have we, as a, I don't know, as journalists, as, as supporters, as people who care about Chelsea, have we maybe cut the club enough slack for the fact that they have been taken over. Everything is completely different to how it was. This was never going to be a settled season where things went easily. They wanted to try and keep Thomas Tuchel, but that relationship broke down. And and yeah, European champions 18 months ago or whatever. But I also remember Dinamo Zagreb and Southampton and Leeds and games at the start of this season where Chelsea were awful. So it's not just a Potter thing, is it? And then there surely needs to be some consideration for the fact that there has been such a massive amount of change, most of which was was unavoidable. Yeah, and I I do kind of wonder if lots of the frustration is tied up in a feeling of of upset still around that the ownership did change and how and why that happened. Because, you know, obviously huge amounts of success under Abramovich, kind of the club rested out of his hands. Um, You know, the rights and wrongs and that's a, a separate debate which have been gone over extensively. But I think it's understandable to an extent that that fans have a almost maybe natural animosity to the ownership that have then come in because the fans didn't want Abramovich to go. It's not like a situation where where people were calling for new ownership. Equally, I think that also then kind of reflects on on Potter in relation to to how fans perceive Thomas Tuchel. And and in some ways, it's it's neither of neither the ownership or Potter's fault that those relationship changes have happened and, and the fans haven't kind of come along. But obviously. Football is a pretty fickle game. If the new ownership had come in, if Potter had come in and, you know, Potter had continued the start that he had, right, and Chelsea were flying right now, no one would be feeling like that. But yeah, of course, it's it, it was always going to be very difficult. But I think equally, there are a couple of things you can look to around what the ownership have done in terms of, you know, they picked Potter. Um, they chose to spend the money and bring the number of players that they brought in. They felt that the squad needed the massive rehaul and immediately. So I think you could look at that and say, well, you know, there's valid criticism there if you believe that was the wrong course of action. And then equally, I think the other thing that's a bit disappointing is they brought in this whole team of of people off the pitch as well as on the pitch in kind of head office roles. But no one hears from them either. And it was a big criticism around, you know, when the stuff with Abramovich that it was, you know, Tuchel and the players fronting up around all of that. And then we've now got the situation where kind of Bowley Clearlet came in and there's a, a lot of talk about, you know, bringing the fans back into Chelsea and, and all of this kind of stuff. And the only person who's sat there fronting up for it is, is Paul Graham Potter. Liam, is, 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 that, is there somebody earmarked for this? Is this a case of, of all the new people behind the scenes who are, as is listed in the piece now, on the top floor at Cobham? Are they trying to work out who's going to be responsible for this or is just nobody putting their hand up for it now that times are tough and, and you don't have to just you know do shiny new announcement signings, etc.? I'm not sure there is a plan for that, actually. And I, I say that primarily because 
the recruitment guys that they've brought in, none of them have had hugely public profiles at their previous clubs. None of them were really senior enough to have that kind of speaking for the club role publicly. I, I, I know Christopher Vivelle, I think, did one or two interviews during his time in Germany, but he was very much a low-profile, behind-the-scenes guy, and I, I'm under the impression he intends to continue that way. So, I'd, yeah, I'd, I don't get the sense it's coming from, from that angle. And the owners don't seem to be too keen to regularly communicate publicly, either in the form of interviews or public pronouncements. I mean, we, we've seen Todd Bowley at the at the occasional conference or Badadig Bali talking in business terms with a couple of Chelsea questions thrown in, but that's not the same as as fans getting real dialogue. And we And we do know that they, you know, along with the other teams that were bidding for Chelsea at the time last year, they did make a real effort to meet with fan groups and have a dialogue. I don't have a clear sense of how how much that dialogue has been maintained. And that's something I, I, I want to look into in the next few weeks and months. Um, because I think that is a big test of this new ownership and how much of a clean break they actually want to be from Abramovich. Because in every other sense, it seems like they, they want to completely do a 90 degree turn from everything we saw in the Abramovich era across every department key personnel have been replaced and it feels like they are in the process of replacing the entire first team squad so does that change extend to the uh, sort of public communication stra- strategy i think it's it's too early to say but early on while they've had a lot else to to be getting on with i think public communication is probably something that's that's fallen by the wayside a little bit well, Todd, Badad, if you're looking for a, a platform to get your message out there, you're always very welcome on here. Just make sure you brush up on your Darren Barnard knowledge before you join us. Okay, next today, we're going to have a look ahead to the big one on Sunday lunchtime. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Fingers being crossed all across West London then as we see whether the nadir of Chelsea season was last weekend or whether more misery awaits as the Blues go to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I'm thinking, Jesse, that there's going to be quite a few changes in terms of personnel for this one. Uh, we hear that those who were red-zoned last week, Eurice James, Thiago Silvers, etc., are in more of a condition to play. They, Raheem Sterling coming back in for you, maybe Ruben back alongside Enzo Fernandez as well. Are they the kind of changes you'll be looking at? 
Yeah, I think Raheem definitely was, you know, obviously uh, gave a, a much needed impetus to the attack when he came on against Southampton and, and would be good to see him back in the team equally. Yeah, Rhys James, obviously with Azpilicueta presumably out as well, that becomes a bit of a, a no-brainer there. Um, but I think regardless of who's coming in and out, and I get the, you know, red zone players not wanting to to push but I just think again this is the problem that stems from having such a big squad it's just that it seems bizarre to me that there there is no continuity going on you know even even talking about potentially Loftus-Cheek coming in for Kovacic again it's like you know you've just brought in Enzo Fernandez and he's cycling through every midfielder at the club and N'Golo Kante is hopefully soon to come back which is great but again then that's another partner that's that's coming in so I think kind of regardless who starts, I just really want it to get to a point where you're starting to be able to say, okay, like these are the names on the team sheet each week, because I think until that happens, it's going to be impossible for these players to to build up the, the kind of relationships that they're going to need to have to to be able to play well together. And I think the, the, the chopping and changing and, you know, I mean, who knows about the injury stuff right that's like always going to be something that's almost like a perfect excuse or you know and it's it's understandable given given what's happened but yeah I think just some kind of continuity at some point please so to get that Liam does Graham Potter maybe have to not create a bomb squad and and just you know send 10 or so players over to the other side of Cobham to train every day but but maybe think to himself here's I don't know, 20, 23 players that I'm going to pick from for the rest of the season and maybe get some kind of consistency of selection through that? Or does that just lead to problems of, you know, so-and-so has got the hump because he's never in the squad anymore? And it's a really difficult job for him, isn't it? It's really hard. And in the course of putting together the piece that I detailed earlier that's gone up on The Athletic today, one of the people I spoke to was saying, you know, all of the the top coaches they've they've ever known have insisted they want a squad of about 22, 23 players. And particularly now, when you get five substitutes, you can involve 16 on any given match day. So that from that foundation, it only requires two, three rotations between matches, maybe to, to make almost everyone feel involved and invested. And I think you see, certainly Pep Guardiola does that really well. I looked on the first team page on the Chelsea website just to just to satisfy my own curiosity after January in the course of writing the piece and there are 31 players listed okay that includes guys like Gabriel Slanina who were very unlikely to see on the pitch between now and the end of the season but it doesn't include Lewis Hall who's still on the development squad page despite playing significant minutes this season so that gives an idea of the scale of the challenge that Potter has and especially when you have a squad that has such disparate groups, you have the recent signings, you have the Abramovich era survivors, you have this tension in terms of the new salary structure versus the old contracts. You've got six guys who are out of contract in 2024, so they know they're entering their final year this season. Of course, Mason Mount headlines that group, but they're all feeling varying degrees of uncertainty about their futures and their places in this Chelsea project. And you've somehow got to make a team out of this bunch. It's it's really, really difficult. Some of the guys, you know, they've a lot of the, the more recent signings have come from leagues outside the Premier League. Some of them can't even speak English very well yet. 
So I think one of the things we found was there was a, a pretty high degree of sympathy for Potter and the challenge that he faces. I, I don't think it's one that any coach would envy between now and the end of the season. I don't see him creating a bomb squad. That just doesn't seem like Potter's style. I mean, they, they've clearly made a decision as a club on a Bamiyang. That seems very, very clear to me based on everything we've we've heard. But you're in the position of the players that you might look to sell this summer, the ones that aren't in your plans. You can't just not play them for three, four months because then what kind of value will they have in the market? Is that there, there aren't any easy solutions to this, but he, he needs to find a way to create at least some sort of a a stable base, which he can then rotate around. Jesse, I note that Romelu Lukaku scored on Wednesday night for Inter. Remember him? Um, who's more likely to play for Chelsea sooner, him or Aubameyang? I mean, based on uh, James Horncastle's piece about him, it sounds like Lukaku. Um, but I mean, it's just all of that. That's that's actually like the kind of biggest headache that I'm most intrigued by for the the summer because I don't think there is a place for him back at Chelsea. I feel like that would be an incredibly toxic move from a ownership that's already struggling to endear itself with the fans anyway. And he does, importantly, Jesse, he does not see that either right, exactly. as, a, as a desirable solution this summer. But then if Inter can't or don't want to take him, then they've got to find somewhere else for him to go. And what? how much did Inter pay for him? 20, 20 million to loan him this season, basically all in. Um, that's a, huge fee for a player who who hasn't you know if he was to go to another club doesn't have the the relationship he had with Inter has scored I think four five goals in total okay he's got two in February um so yeah I mean that's just a whole other mess to, to be figured out all right well we can put that one on ice for the time being just like Chelsea have done Liam he says segue nicely with Mason Mount's contract talk so you and Simon have teamed up again for a joint read on his future United City Liverpool all reportedly want him where are you leaning now are you thinking the best option here is to to re-exchange this give him the money that he wants give him the long-term contract and have that bit of continuity from from previous Chelsea to current Chelsea or are you thinking his his form's been so poor this season that if you can get 40-50 million quid for him in the summer you might as well cash out I'm not in the business of deciding what money players deserve. Um, I think whatever they can negotiate is is absolutely fine. But I don't think either way the decision should be made on this season's form. Because you look at how consistent Mount was for three years after breaking into the team, culminating in last season in which he was genuinely Chelsea's best most consistent, most productive attacking player. I know that's not necessarily saying much given that Chelsea's attack was quite underwhelming, but he registered double figures for goals and assists in the league at the age of 23. There aren't many midfielders that do that. And I know goals and assists are one of the things that Mount is regularly castigated for on on social media. So he's clearly a valuable player and the mere fact that there would be such a market for him this summer underlines that he is a valuable player. Whatever people's personal opinions of him are, it's clear that within football, he is extremely highly regarded. Based on the the spending Chelsea have already done, it's hard to say what the best decision is. But I think if, if, if there is no solution to be found on the contract, 
then the only business decision that makes sense is to sell because they can't let a player as valuable as Mason Mount leave for free or become a, va- a free agent in 2024. Um, but it's a very fraught situation now. That was the, the point of the piece was that you can't be putting contract talks on hold this close to the end in terms of that deal and feel good about where you are. Um, I don't think the negotiation is in a good place right now. I think there's a real chance that Mason Mount is playing for someone else next season. And it would be hard not to see that on some level as a club failing based on what he's been for the club over the last three years and the role that he could still play in the next great Chelsea team. One one thing that has been a complicating factor in this negotiation, which I, I foresaw based on conversations I had around it at the time, is Raheem Sterling's contract. Bowley and Clearlaker made a big play of... All our January signings are on these long contracts and they're on more reasonable wages. We want to bring the salary structure down to a more sustainable place. But the Raheem Sterling contract, which was agreed before all of this, hangs over everything. He's the top earner in the squad. Again, I'm not in in the business of deciding what players deserve to be paid. It's very good for him that he's getting that money. But Chelsea are kind of, they've agreed to pay a very good player like a great one like a De Bruyne, like a Salah. And that has business consequences for other negotiations. And I, I was actually kind of surprised that the Reese James negotiation didn't go this way either because the initial signs were that it might. But there were always signs that, that Mason Mount might end up in this situation because he's been one of Chelsea's most valuable players over the last few years and not being paid as such. And, and that's always... A, a difficult situation to resolve when you add in the chaos factor of a change of ownership and everything else Chelsea have been through in the last year. All right, well, we'll have to wait and see whether Mount makes it back into the starting lineup for Sunday's game. Let's get uh, a Tottenham perspective on things, shall we? Earlier, I caught up with Tim Spears, the Athletics man in the know on all things Spurs. Uh, right, Tim, uh, I feel like the key question here is, is Antonio Conte going to be on the touchline or not? Because mm. if he is, then Chelsea have got a chance of winning, right? Just looking at the Stellini stats. Very important question. Um, yeah, so for people who don't know, Stellini's taken charge of, a, of, of three games for Spurs this season. Once when Conte was banned from the touchline at Marseille for a do-or-die Champions League tie, which uh, Spurs won 2-1 with a last-minute winner. Secondly, for uh, the recent game against Manchester City, which they completely unexpectedly won 1-0. And then, yeah, for the West Ham game on Sunday, which they won 2-0. So Stellini's three from three for Spurs. But in terms of the past two or three years, he's actually six from six because Conte was was banned from the touchline uh, three times at Inter, or bannered, as he as he says uh, so endearingly. Um, Whenever he's asked, he, he can literally be asked about being banned and he'll reply saying bannered, which I absolutely love <laughs> and I'm going to start using. Um, but yeah, anyway, Stellini won those three games as well. So it's six times he's taken charge of a Conte team and won all, and won all six. So Stellini's doing the, the press conference on Friday and we're not expecting Antonio Conte to be there on Sunday. He came back too soon from you know a very serious operation. He had his gallbladder removed a few weeks ago. Came back too soon, looked horrendous, looked really ill, sounded ill. And then after the 1-0 defeat in Milan a couple of weeks ago, he was he was told, or well, last week rather, he was told by doctors, you know, you need to stay home and recuperate. This is this is serious. So um no, we're not expecting him to be there on Sunday. 
All right, so he probably won't be there. Um, how on earth are Spurs there? By there, I mean fourth in the table. Don't ask you me. Know, watching from a distance, it's like bad vibes FC Central, and yet they're in the Champions League places. It's madness. I, I just, you know, been covering Spurs since September now, and I just don't get any sense at all of, of, of the fact that I'm watching the fourth best team in the land. It's just, you know, watched them lose 4-1 at Leicester recently. It could have been six or seven. They were so bad. They were so bad in every part of the field. And, you know, you don't know which Spurs um, you're going to get week from week at all. But somehow, yeah, with, with Liverpool and, and, and Chelsea, you know, having such bad seasons and, and Newcastle wobbling recently and no other challenges, they find themselves in, in fourth place. They're in the fifth round of the FA Cup where they go to Sheffield United. And, you know, they're still in the Champions League. You know, they, they lost they lost 1-0 in Milan with a, with a pretty poor performance and they'll, be, they'll have sort of 50-50 chance of turning that round. So um, they're in a great position. Despite the fact loads of players are out of form, you know, Son's having a really poor season by his standards. Kulisevsky, Richarlison hasn't scored in the Premier League yet, despite uh, costing £60 million last summer. So there's all sorts of issues, but they're somehow in fourth. And yeah, they are capable on their day. Anyone who saw that Man City game a couple of weeks ago of um, of really turning it on, but that those occasions have been few and far between. But they'll they'll be confident from a purely football sense of of, of view ahead of this game on Sunday. But from a Spurs point of view, I mean, I'm still finding out more about this club as as the weeks go on. But we've just done the view from the lane Spurs podcast this morning, and the inferiority complex from our host Danny Kelly is is is, is, is quite something. Um, you know, even more so. Than, than with Arsenal, really. For Spurs fans, Chelsea's the one which which brings them out in a rash. And, you know, there are real nerves and apprehension about facing them, despite the fact that Chelsea, I guess, are in what their worst and most vulnerable position, you know, for, for two decades. And and that's what, because Chelsea have won on, what, their last three visits to, to Spurs unbeaten in the last five. And, and people, from a Spurs perspective, are looking at that side of the ledger rather than the team that's won two in 14 coming into this game. I think it dates back to what was it? How many years was it between Spurs victories over oh, Chelsea? Twenty plus, wasn't it? Before those two, <laughs> I, I, I think it's more those scars which haven't healed, rather than rather than recent performances. However, that that certainly plays into it. From what I gather, you know, not only have Spurs not beaten Chelsea at their new stadium, but they haven't scored a goal against them yet either. So, yeah, from a detached point of view, you know, I look at this game and see Spurs as favourites, but from a from a Spurs fan point of view, I, I totally get why they're why they're getting the wobbles and getting the jitters about about Chelsea coming to town. And um, finally, Tim, I know you and um, Liam have been raising the prospect cheekily of a, a managerial swap between the clubs. Um, that's obviously, well, I say obviously, it's football. That's probably not going to happen. But how likely do you think it is that Antonio Conte Spurs manager next season? Um, increasingly unlikely, I'd say. I mean, he, it never felt like a natural fit anyway for for a for a. For a manager who you know has teams built for him to 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 have a tilt at the title, rather than a sort of a, a three, four, five year long term project with with young signings, and um, yeah, it's it's never really felt like a natural fit. I mean, they, they had a really good enter last season to get into the Champions League, but otherwise, I don't get any impression from Conte that that despite the fact he talks about the project, that he's that he's here to stay, and that's compounded by what's been a really difficult season for him personally. You know, people may have may have seen or read that, you know, he's, he's lost three people close to him in a short space of time. Gian-Piero Ventroni, their, I suppose his fitness coach, died in October. And since then, he's he lost two close friends in Sinisa Mihailovic and Gianluca Vialli. 
which took its toll. Then you had surgery on top of that, you know, a serious operation, so his gallbladder removed. And he has talked about, and this isn't this doesn't come, strike me as normal for Conte. You know, he's not not a man who necessarily wears his emotions on his sleeve when it comes to journalists. But he has been talking about the fact that you know he he wants to spend more time with his family, and you know he he feels cut off from his family who who are back in Italy. So it wouldn't surprise me at all especially given his contract situation, his contract expires in the summer, that um, if he if he maybe moves back to Italy in the summer. But but regardless of that, you know, I think even Spurs would have their misgivings about Conte as soon as they hired him to... that uh, They've hired a manager who who, who win things and, and, and is a sort of a, perhaps a more of a short-term manager um, where they're in the midst of a long-term project. So, yeah, it, it, it doesn't feel natural to me. Um, he's done some good things at Spurs, but I, f- I feel like a part of the ways um, is, is, is on the cards for this summer. Well, Tim, I know you've only been on the Spurs beat for a little while, but I'm sure you've got tremendous sway. So just remind Daniel Levy that it doesn't always have to be an ex-Chelsea manager who he appoints. Cool. Right, I'll text him. <laughs> Thank you. Hands off, Thomas Tuchel. Tim, thanks so much for your time today. Hope you don't enjoy the game at all on Sunday. Cheers, Matt. Uh, right, Jesse. Is it make or break? We've got Leeds coming up as well. How valuable would a win be for Graham Potter in terms of giving him some credit in the bank? And, and is it going to happen? I mean, I don't think it's make or break in the sense that I don't think Potter's job feels under threat at all. So in that sense, I'm a bit like, well, I feel like almost anything can carry on happening. I think we've reached a point that a win would be a big boost, but equally, I don't know if it would do do much to paper over the cracks still but I think um you know psychologically it's been a a long time since we've lost to Spurs and I think yeah there would be a a moral you know victory in in getting the win as well as a footballing one um which I think would obviously be satisfying Uh, Liam Chelsea always win at this new Tottenham Stadium don't they so they're just going to go and do it again right well Spurs can usually be relied upon to give Chelsea life when they need it most and they really do need it right now. I think what Jesse said is correct in that there's no indication that this game is is make or break for Potter. It it would be a big surprise regardless of the result, regardless of the performance, if he was sacked in the wake of this based on everything we've heard so far. Having said that, I do feel that the next three games are very significant for Potter because you have Tottenham, a team Chelsea fans don't like, Leeds United, a team Chelsea fans don't like, and then Borussia Dortmund, who I think Chelsea fans are fine with, but that is potentially the last meaningful game of Chelsea's season if it doesn't go well. Um, And I think if Potter doesn't win any of those, the toxicity that we saw at the end of each half of the Southampton game, which I think was, you know, it was it was obviously notable, but it was still to some degree restrained. I think it could ascend to new levels um, and levels that the new owners haven't seen or endured yet. And that will be a new stress test of the patience that they are showing with this project. I think there has to be an uptick in performances. This is a big London derby that Chelsea fans will be expecting. No matter how many new players Chelsea have got, there are still players in this squad that know how important it is to beat Tottenham. And I think Chelsea fans will be expecting a performance and an intensity and an effort level that reflects that. 
Uh, listener, if you break your mirror, if a black cat comes across your path, if you walk under a ladder uh, before Sunday, don't worry too much because none of that will bring as much bad luck as the fact that producer Lucy will be in attendance. Lucy, do you want to give an apology in advance? <laughs> uh, yeah, can I just say it's not by choice. It is for work. I would be actively avoiding it if I could, but I uh, don't have the option. Uh, yeah, last time I wore my Lukaku shirt in the press box under my coat and we won 3-0. So maybe that would be a good idea, although maybe that's double bad luck at the moment. I can't really decide. But um, but yeah, I will be behaving disorderly in the press box and disgracing myself. But yeah, not looking forward to it. I'm sorry in advance. Really sorry. Sorry, guys. Okay, we'll talk you through how Chelsea got back to winning ways in our Monday pod, but let's move on uh, to other matters. Not least, Jesse, the big game for the women's team on Sunday. They take on Arsenal at Kings Meadow in the fifth round of the FA Cup. It's a dress rehearsal for the Conti Cup final at Selhurst Park next weekend. Is is this a higher priority match than it otherwise would have been because of the opposition, do you think? Uh, it's an annoying match in terms of the opposition, yeah, because I think the FA Cup fifth round would be would have been a lovely opportunity to uh, rotate the team a bit, give give players coming in from international break time off. But as it is, it it kind of is a tough fixture that's going to kick off a whole run of of tough fixtures. Chelsea's the entirety of of March is just miserable in terms of high level opposition. Um, I personally would prefer for us to. I can't decide whether I prefer to us to win this one or the Conti Cup. I'd prefer for us to be in a final at Wembley than at Selhurst Park. Um, but equally, the thought of losing to Arsenal in a in a final is, is pretty grim, given Arsenal's um, recent form. And I think that kind of ramps up the pressure as well. Uh, I feel like if Arsenal were playing like they have in, in maybe past seasons and felt like a, on a genuine level with Chelsea, you'd say you can kind of take or leave it. But the reality is, is that Arsenal have been really, really poor. Um, before the international break obviously they've got loads of injuries and all that but even beyond that they've they've been bad Um, and I think that kind of makes this more of an expected win for Chelsea Uh, What about the Champions League draw we didn't get your reaction to that it's it's Lyon is that as fearful as it has been in in recent years and and how significant is it to have the the second leg at home Yeah not not the best draw but probably not the worst Um, Chelsea could have got Bayern Munich and I think I'd be more scared of Bayern Munich than Lyon right now though they obviously are the holders and in the Champions League you really can't write them off also you know they they were obviously thrashed by Arsenal at the start of the season in the Champions League, um, but they had a lot of players missing at the time. And, you know, players like Ada Hegerberg, for example, uh, will likely be back, I think, by the time Chelsea get around to playing them. But definitely having the second leg at home, I think, will be a massive, massive boost. Um, equally, the, the draw means that if Chelsea do go through, they'll likely have to face Barcelona in the semi-final with the second leg away, which feels like... Uh, <laughs> A very, very uh, tough, tough prospect. Although I would love to see Chelsea uh, get revenge on Barcelona in the Camp Nou. Um, But hey-ho, I can carry on uh, dreaming for a little bit, hopefully. Um, But yeah, I think it's a game Chelsea will feel that they can and should win. But it's by no means a gimme. Could you see Liam there making a mental note? Ask editor to go to Barcelona away leg if possible. Um, yeah, good shout. Uh, let's give a shout out to Lauren James as well, player of the tournament in the Arnold Clark Cup, which England successfully defended. Uh, she's been magnificent throughout it and will continue to be throughout this season and into the World Cup, I have no doubt. Uh, in terms of the academy sides, the under-21s host Arsenal in PL2 on Monday. The under-18s go to Fulham on Saturday morning. Right, next today is quiz time. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. getting harder and harder this to come up with uh, quizzes themed on the games because we've been doing it for a couple of years now and I feel like I've sort of done it all um, so apologies if there's any repetition here hopefully not Liam you're up first it's a, it's a daunting task taking on Jesse but I thought if I give you the first question you can at least put a marker down uh, whose most recent Chelsea appearance came in the 2-2 draw with Spurs at the bridge in August hand to face is it Kante Kante is correct. 1-0. Off to a flyer. Uh, uh, Jesse, I've tried to make it a bit harder for you this week because it's been too easy. For my money, this is the hardest question of the quiz. We shall see. Of course. What is Noni Madueke's full first name? I have no... You could sit me here all day and I wouldn't be able to tell you. Would you like to hazard a guess? Oh, Lucy wants you to spell it as well for uh, for a bonus half. I feel like taking no a idea. guess at Noni Madueke's first name is 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 an easy path to gross <laughs> offence. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll pass that. I, I could have a go at spelling Madueke, but I've got literally no idea. Liam, do you know? No. I have seen it on his Wikipedia page, but it hasn't burned into my brain yet. Listener, do you know it? Very good. Uh, impress your friends if you didn't. Chuck Winonzo is his first name Chuck Wanonzo Madueke so it's 1-0 to Liam right here's your second question Liam Andy Myers played for Chelsea in the one-all draw at White Hart Lane in 1996 these days he works behind the scenes at Cobham but what is his official job title oh he switched around a bit um is he currently a lone technical coach Lucy we're giving him the point for that yeah, I think so. It's lone player technical coach, but um, okay. I'll, I'll give you that because you're close enough. That means there's a lot of pressure on you, Jesse. You really need to get this right. Who scored twice for Chelsea at Tottenham last season? I feel like this has made an appearance before. 
in a different, slightly different guise, this question. Um, I'm trying to think. Kai Havertz? You want to steal it, Liam? I don't know 100%, but for some reason, my gut is telling me Rudiger. Rudiger is correct in the League <sighs> Cup semi-final and in the Premier League. This is turning into a whooping. Uh, let's smashed. see if it continues. Final final question. Question of regulation time for you, Liam. 23 years ago this month, Chelsea won 1-0 at White Hart Lane thanks to a goal from which French defender? 23 years ago. I I know who this is, and I can't believe it was 23 years ago. Uh, wasn't it William Gallas cutting inside, smashing one in off the far post? It absolutely was not William Gallas cutting inside, smashing oh, one okay. in off I the far post. Okay, I don't know who post. it is then. Jesse, do you know who it is? I'm going to guess Marcel Desailly. Oh, I thought everybody was going to guess Frank Leboeuf. It was Bernard Lambord. Oh, was course. the actual answer, obviously. Um Glorious moment in his career, no doubt. Well, it doesn't matter, Liam, because you've won anyway. But Jesse, I mean, frankly, you need this because you haven't got any right yet, which is most unlike you. Uh, who was the last player to be sent off in a game between Spurs and Chelsea? <laughs> Liam's smiling because he doesn't know the answer to this and he knows that he doesn't need to. Oh, my God. This has been a terrible morning <laughs> for me. Um... Who was the last player? Son Heung-min. Oh, well done. That is superb. 2019. Clawed back a modicum of respectability. But, I mean, there's no way of dressing this up. Liam, it's a convincing victory for you. And and against the form horse, you must be thrilled. My secret was just to visualise myself in my car driving to five aside because that's usually when I'm listening to these quizzes and I get every single one at that point. Um just incidentally, the the only thing I remember about Bernard Lambord now and his time at Chelsea was playing a video game as a kid that wasn't FIFA or Pro Evo. It was another football game that didn't last very long. And they hadn't even bothered to render him. He was like the stock footballer. There was nothing remotely resembling Lambord about him. He was the only one they hadn't put any effort into. Jesse, what's your favourite Bernard Lambord memory? <laughs> um, this quiz. <laughs> uh, yeah I can't say that I've got one either really uh, Liam we've um, we've already trailed the stuff that you've got up on the Athletic now are you, are you on duty for Sunday are you handling the fallout from that one no it'll be Simon uh, who the booze will be raining down upon <laughs> not for the first time yeah I've got a bit of a gap from match attendance after Dortmund away but I'm working on a piece. I've actually had a, a a witty conversation, or at least I hope people find it witty, with uh, the aforementioned Tim Spears ahead of the weekend, in which we've we've discussed a an intriguing hypothetical idea, and by that I mean a wild thought that was pitched to us by one of our editors <laughs> about the the notion that maybe Potter and Conte are in the wrong jobs at the wrong clubs and would be better suited to each other's. So we talk that through. Hopefully people will enjoy that as a thought exercise and have their own opinions on it. That will be up before the game. 
I think possibly just enough behind the scenes people have left to mean that Antonio Conte could conceivably come back <laughs> to Chelsea now. That was not the question for a very long time. A whole new list of potential enemies, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jesse, what are you up to this weekend? Uh, I will get the, the joy of skipping most of uh, uh, Spurs-Chelsea because I'll be at Chelsea-Arsenal and they've handily scheduled at the same time. So for anyone who, who does think, oh God, I really don't want to watch that uh, Chelsea Arsenal, there's still tickets available, I believe, if you want to get down to Kings Meadow. Yeah, and you have the desire to see Chelsea beat North London opposition. That's probably your best bet. But who knows? Look, maybe we'll be talking about two fantastic wins on Monday as the season finally kicks into gear um, nearly in March. Who knows? We'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed on that one. Many thanks to Jesse, to Liam, to Lucy and to Tim for joining us earlier too. We're going to be back on Monday when it'll either be another group therapy session or a triumphant celebration. I'm excited to find out which. Join us for that if you can. Bye for now. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub an official partner of The Athletic.